I have in my hand a piece of white paper. Now, it's not from Dunder Mifflin, but it's definitely a high-quality piece of paper. It was designed to be used in printers and photocopiers. Now, as you look at this high-quality piece of paper, I'm sure you're noticing something. It's crumpled. It's not in the condition that it was initially designed or created to be. Clearly, something has happened to this piece of paper. Somehow, it's become damaged. Well, you and I and the world around us are like this piece of paper. We're created and designed to be something different and in a condition that's far different from what we are in right now. We become damaged. Now, once a piece of paper has become crumpled this badly, there's nothing that can be done to restore it to its original state. However, when it comes to you and me being restored to our original state, there's hope. In fact, that's why Jesus came to earth. He came to earth to take upon himself all the guilt and the shame, all the pain that our sin has heaped upon ourselves, he took it upon himself. He came to restore us to our original, sinless, cleansed condition. That's why Jesus came to earth. And that's the gift that he offers to us. He died on the cross, taking upon himself the results of our sin and our shame and our guilt. But then he rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating shame, defeating guilt, defeating death. And then he offers to cleanse us. He offers to restore us. He offers to give us the gift of having our lives return to our original condition. Now, this happens in stages. It starts from the inside and eventually will one day work its way out to our very physical bodies. You see, the final results of Jesus' restoration project will not be experienced until his promised return to earth someday in the future. But nonetheless, we are given glimpses of his restoration power every now and then in the physical realm in the form of divine supernatural healings that take place. Now, last week, we looked into some common myths, some often heard lies when it comes to how God operates in the realm of divine healing. We discussed the lie that you need to have a certain level of faith in order to be healed by God. We discussed the lie that you need to interact with the right person in order to be healed by God. We discussed the lie that your sickness is God's punishment. Now, last week, we did our best to debunk those lies. But today, we're moving from the realm of lies to the realm of truth. We're shifting from how God does not operate to the realm of how God does operate when it comes to divine healing. So let's get right to it. What does a person have to do in order to experience healing from God? Well, first of all, you simply ask. Simply ask. When you get right down to it, prayer is incredibly simple. When you get right down to it, prayer is just talking to God. And we can talk to God about many things. I mean, we can praise him. We can confess to him. We can thank him. We can even bring requests to him. A man named Paul, a leader in the first century church, he gave these instructions. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So Paul said it really simply, present your requests to God. Now, one type of request that we bring to God or present to God is the request for supernatural healing. You simply ask God to supernaturally heal. 
Many, many years ago, I was sitting in my office with a husband and wife for marital counseling. I heard this with my own eyes. She was continually asking her husband if he loved her. She was continually begging him to tell her that he loved her. And he literally in front of me turned to her and said, woman, the moment we were married, I told you I loved you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Stop bothering me. I once heard a Bible teacher, a well-known Bible teacher, claim that when each of his children were born, he prayed for them at that moment. And he hasn't prayed for them since, because if he prayed for them since, he would be implying that he didn't believe his first prayer. Well, is that what prayer for healing is like? Are we displaying a lack of faith if we continually ask God for the same thing? Are we bothering God if we continually ask him for the same thing? Jesus once told the story of a persistent widow and a corrupt judge. In Jesus' story, the widow kept coming to the judge and she kept bothering him. That's a direct quote from Jesus. Finally, the judge gave her what she was asking for because of the woman's persistence. Now, the scripture writer tells us why Jesus told this story. The scripture writer said, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and should not give up. And Jesus' application of the parable at the end was clear. He essentially says, hey, if a corrupt judge responds to persistence, imagine how a just and loving God will respond to persistence. So are we displaying a lack of faith if we continually ask God for the same thing? Are we bothering God if we continually ask him for the same thing? Not according to Jesus and not according to the apostle Paul. Writing to the church in the ancient city of Ephesus, Paul wrote this. He says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. So Paul told the Ephesian Christians, whenever he prays for them, he's continually thanking God for the same thing, and he's continually asking God for the same thing. Prayer is talking to God. And one of the things we do when we talk to God is we simply ask him to do certain things. And one of the things we simply ask him to do is to supernaturally heal. And it is perfectly fine with God when we are persistent and continually ask. Okay, but what about when you ask and you ask and you ask and you ask and nothing happens? What about when you consistently and persistently ask, but God doesn't do what you're asking him to do? What then? Well, that brings us to the second simple truth about healing. You simply trust. You simply trust. Now, what do we mean by trust? Well, this is where we can begin to go off track a bit if we're not clear. So for clarity's sake, let's define our terms. Now, the words faith and trust essentially mean the same thing. The words simply mean to rely upon your belief in the nature and the ability of God. You rely upon your belief in the nature and the ability of God. Think about how many times a day you express your faith and your trust in the nature and ability of many things in your life. Every time you drive over a bridge, you're relying upon your belief in the nature and the ability of that bridge to carry the load. 
Every time you enter a large building, you're relying upon your belief in the nature and ability of the concrete pillars and steel beams to do the task they were designed and assigned to do. So when we say you need to trust God, you need to have faith in God, we're saying the same thing. That's what the words faith and trust mean in the context of God and healing. You're exercising the same mental muscles that you exercise every time you cross a bridge or enter a building. It means you are simply asking God to heal, and then you are simply trusting in the nature and the ability of God. You're trusting in the fact that God's holy. He's morally pure. I mean, he's not evil or corrupt or a malicious God. So you never have to fear that he will suddenly turn on you and harm you. You're trusting in the fact that God is loving. His very nature is an expression of the purest love imaginable. So you can always know that God always has what is best as his motivation. You're trusting in the fact that God is all-powerful. He's able to do anything and everything he desires to do. So you can always know that strength and power are never issues with God. You're trusting in the fact that God is all-knowing. He knows all truths, past, present, and future. So you can always know that God always knows what's best in every situation. So then, when you simply ask God to heal, you're simply trusting in God's nature and ability. But we can actually dive even a bit deeper into this dimension of trust. When you trust God's nature and ability, you're trusting in God's timing. What do I mean? Sometimes God says, yes, but not right now when we pray for healing. I mean, Peter said, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, see that little phrase, due time? This was originally written in Greek, and that word due time is the translation of a Greek word. Now, there's two main words in Greek we could use for time. One is chronos, which is where we get our word chronology. That's the word for time in general. Like when you talk about the chronology of an event, it's moment after moment after moment. This moment, then that moment, that moment, chronological time. That's not the word was used here for Peter for, for due time. The word Peter used here was kairos, which is the word for an appointed time, for a scheduled event. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time at the right moment when God appointed it, when he scheduled it to happen. Now, let's face it. We can all tend to be a little impatient in life, can't we? We can feel like God's schedule is a little bit off. I remember years ago watching a Simpsons episode where Mo was showing Homer a giant deep fryer that Mo has just purchased for a restaurant. Mo says, Look what I just bought from my restaurant, Homer. I bought it used from the Navy. You can deep fry a buffalo in 40 seconds. Homer says, 40 seconds, but I want it now. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm a lot more like Homer Simpson than I want to admit. I have literally stood in front of our microwave, reheating some food that I put in there. And I set the timer for reheat. And then as I'm watching the, this thing, clock tick down, I stop it at three seconds left because I just want it now. I can't wait those last three seconds. I mean, that's crazy. But this dynamic is especially true when I or someone I love is experiencing an intense level of physical discomfort. I want God to act and I want God to act now. But there are times when God seems to say, well, I'm able to act and I'm even willing to act. 
but not yet. Sometimes God seems to be saying, I'm doing something in and through your present circumstances. I'm working in ways that you can't see. I'm achieving purposes that you can't understand. I'll heal, but in due time, at just the right moment. The Apostle Paul once put it this way in his letter to the church in Rome. He said, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. You're driving in your vehicle, and all of a sudden you hear a siren, and you look in your rearview mirror, and you see the flashing lights from an ambulance or a fire truck behind you. What do you do next? Well, there's a driving protocol for such moments. You pull over, right? Whatever you're doing at that moment, wherever you're going at that moment, all takes a backseat to what is happening in someone else's life. The life of someone you don't know, someone you will likely never meet, their life goes before yours at that moment. When you hear a siren, you put your desires and your priorities and your plans aside for the sake of that someone else. Now, as I imagine it, a similar dynamic is at play when it comes to healing. As Paul wrote, God is working out his purposes in and through all of our lives. And the truth is, our lives interact and interconnect with one another in unfathomable ways in ways that only an all-knowing God could compute. God's moving pieces around on the chessboard of life. He has a purpose for everything he does and for when he does everything. So when we ask God to heal and the healing does not come right away, we need to trust in God's timing. But we also need to trust in God's wisdom. Now, trusting in God's wisdom means trusting in the fact that God knows what we don't know. Trusting in God's wisdom means trusting in the fact that God has access to information that we could never access. And a key moment in life, now hear this, a key moment in life, a moment when you and I particularly need to trust in God's wisdom is when we come face to face with the fact that sometimes God says, No. Sometimes we ask, we trust, we have absolute faith in God's ability to heal, but God in his wisdom still says no. Now, every parent knows this dynamic of having to say no to your child, and your child doesn't understand why. As far as they're concerned, they pout, they get their lip out, they they cross their arms, they're angry at you, they're upset at you. You're the worst parent in the world because you're not giving them what they want when they want it. Now, they don't realize you have great reasons for it, reasons that they could never understand. All they know is they're not getting what they want, and they don't understand why. Well, sometimes you and I, we ask, we believe, we sincerely trust God, but God still says no. It's not because God doesn't love us. It's not because we don't have faith. It is because God knows something that we don't know. It is because God has a purpose that we can't see. It is because God has morally sufficient reasons for allowing what he's allowing. Those moments when God says no are the moments that we need to lean heavily upon his wisdom and lean deeply into his presence. Years ago, I was on call at a local hospital. I was there to offer pastoral care for anyone in an emergency. 
I was called in that day to be with a young mother and father as they were presented with the lifeless body of their two-year-old boy. He had tragically drowned that day. After doing my best to comfort those parents, I went out to my car and sat for a long time in the parking lot. As I sat there, I asked God for the permission and the power to go back into that hospital room, to pray over that child, and to see a miracle take place. I sat and I prayed and I waited. But all that I heard was silence. All that I felt was an emptiness, a sadness. I know that God heard my prayer. And I know that I believed in God's ability to do what I was asking him to do. But as far as I could tell, as far as I could hear, God said, no. Have you ever had a moment like that? Do you know what it feels like to simply ask God, to simply trust God, yet in the end, to have God say, no? It can be a painful, confusing time. Did you know that Jesus had a moment like that? Did you know that Jesus simply asked something of the Father? Jesus simply trusted the Father, and in the end, Jesus apparently heard the word no from the Father. It's true. And it wasn't over some trivial matter either. Jesus heard the word no during one of the darkest moments in his life. The Last Supper had just taken place. Judas had run off to betray Jesus. Jesus led his disciples through the darkened city, across the Kidron Valley, and into a garden near the bottom of the slope of the Mount of Olives. The intensity of what was about to take place over the next 24 hours was pressing in on Jesus. We pick up the story in the 36th verse of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew writes, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now understand here for a moment what's happening. Jesus knows what's about to take place. He goes into his favorite prayer spot, a place he went to many times before, Scripture tells us, in other places. And he goes to his favorite prayer spot, and he begins to pray. And he's feeling the waves of, of anxiety, the wave of pain coming upon him. And he's, he's not exaggerating here. He says, I am overwhelmed with grief. I'm overwhelmed with trouble to the point that I feel it's killing me to the point of death. He's not exaggerating. Keep reading. And then it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now this cup refers to the cup of wrath, the cup of tragedy that's about to, he's about to drink from. And he's saying, Scripture says, he goes a little farther from where he was and he falls face forward on the ground. He's not kneeling gently against a rock. He's on his face before the Father. And he says, Father, if there's any way, if it is at all possible for me to avoid what's going to happen in the next 24 hours, avoid the beating, avoid the cross, avoid that separation, avoid the sin being heaped upon me, if this can be avoided at all, if there's another way to accomplish this, then please Let's do it another way. But then Jesus concluded his time of prayer with these words, Yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Jesus, in his humanity, would have much preferred to not experience the pain of crucifixion. Jesus, looking ahead at what he was about to face, would have much preferred to have been spared all of that. Yet, in his humility, Jesus said, nonetheless, I bow to your wisdom, Father. Don't do what I want in my humanity. Do what you want in your divinity. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus asked. He asked that the cross be somehow avoided. The Father listened, and the Father said, no. When you read the account in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus prayed the same prayer three times. And each time Jesus somehow sensed the Father to say, no. So Jesus trusted the Father's wisdom. Jesus trusted the Father's purposes. Jesus endured the cross, and Jesus rose from the dead. And you and I are the living beneficiaries of that trust. Because Jesus trusted the Father, you and I have access to the Father. The Father said no to Jesus so the Father could say yes to the entire world. Now, sometimes, like Jesus, we pray for a miraculous intervention and God says no. During those times, like Jesus, we need to simply trust, to trust in God's wisdom. So let's conclude. What's the simple truth when it comes to healing in the kingdom of God? How does one experience God's supernatural intervention? Well, we've learned today, you simply ask. God encourages us to ask him. God loves it when his people look to him and call upon him. And this isn't a one and done kind of a thing. Ask and keep on asking until you're given clear direction otherwise. You simply ask, and secondly, you simply trust. You believe in God's nature and God's ability. That involves trusting in his timing and trusting in his wisdom. So whether God says slow or God says no, trust that he does all things well. And that brings us to today's big idea when it comes to healing. It's this simple. Call upon God's power, trust in God's plan. Call upon God's power, trust in God's plan. It's that simple. Our part is to do the asking and the trusting. God's part is to do the deciding and the healing. Call upon God's power, trust in God's plan. Now, maybe you're listening today and you are in need of God's supernatural intervention in your body and you have never asked God to heal you. As we close today, why not do that? In a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer for physical healing in your body. I encourage you to join with me at that moment in prayer. Or maybe you've been asking for a long time for God to heal with still no results. As I pray, I encourage you to persist in prayer with me. You're listening to me and you're battling pain. You're battling fear, you're battling doubt. Don't turn away from God's presence. Lean into his presence. Your part is to do the asking and the trusting. God's part is to do the deciding and the healing. Call upon God's power and trust in God's plan. Now, I'm gonna lead people in one other prayer as I conclude. It's the only prayer I know of that God promises to always answer with a yes immediately. It's the prayer of asking God to forgive you and to cleanse you and to give you eternal life. Remember this crumpled piece of paper? 
This is my life. This is your life apart from Jesus Christ. It's broken. It's damaged. It's in a difficult, irreparable shape, really. On our own, we could never restore this piece of paper, restore our lives to our original condition. But when we offer our lives to Christ, He turns that crumpled life into the life that He designed and created us to be. This is what Jesus Christ does for you when you offer your life to Him. Have you ever asked Him to cleanse and restore your life? If not, you can simply ask Him right now. Let's pray together. Lord, first of all, I bring to you those who are watching right now, who are in need of healing. There's something in their life. There's something in their bodies that is harming them, that's damaging them. There's pain, there's difficulty. Right now, we persist in prayer. We come to you simply. We trust in you simply. We ask you to heal. We ask you to strengthen. We ask you to restore according to your power, according to your ability. We trust you. We trust your timing. We trust your knowledge. We trust your wisdom. We trust your power. But we ask you to heal right now in the power, in the authority, in the name of the risen Jesus. And for those who are watching right now, and you've not yet asked this risen Christ to come into your life and forgive you and cleanse you, pray this prayer with me right now. Lord, I lift before you my crumpled, damaged life, and I ask you to restore me in a way that only you can restore me. Cleanse me of my sin. Cleanse me of my rebellion. Come into my life by your Spirit and begin to change me and restore me from the inside out. I give you my life from this moment on. I follow you as my God, as my Savior, as my Redeemer. And God, would you give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision, to act on it before my head hits the pillow this evening? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer with me today, the best advice I can give you is to text the number on the screen right now. One of our pastoral staff will text you back. We're not gonna phone you. We're not gonna put you on an email list. We're not gonna harass you in any way. We simply want to help you take the next step in any way you will let us help you take that step. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today at Broadway Church.